0: fresh episode of fish bites here on the fish straps podcast channel covering the Miami Marlins from every single angle imaginable. And on this episode, we're going to touch on some topics that we hadn't really brought to your attention so far about the 2020 season. And that's how to bet on the Marlins and Major League Baseball in general here in 2020. A shortened season, uh, only 60 games instead of 162. And that's even being hopeful that COVID-19 doesn't disrupt anything that's going on. So we're going to see some crazy things happening this year, both specifically with the Marlins and with the league overall. And we want to, overall, we just want to make you some money out of this situation as as best we can. And uh, to help me with that, uh, we're going to have Tyler Wilson right here try to guide us in the right directions about where to put your money and just out of general curiosity, uh, how the league is going to look so much different this year compared to the normal year. Glad to have you back on the show, Tyler.
1: Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. I I just want to share the sentiment. We're just here to make you money the best that we can. So it's going to be a wild season, but hopefully we can at least turn a profit while you're watching the games and give you something a little bit more exciting and incentive uh, to root for. So it's going to be a great year.
0: Tyler has uh, special incentives to do well this year and to be responsible with his money now that he's, he's a father, just had a baby girl earlier this summer, and uh, so he's going to take good care of her. By making great decisions and studying on um, these props to make sure you can pick out those inefficiencies and uh, yeah, break even and make a profit when it's all said and done. And but we're going to spend most of this talking about the Marlins, considering most of our listeners are into the Marlins and you and I are into the Marlins, and uh, specifically some of these individual players. Uh, when it comes to batting average that are is being projected here for the 2020 season, Brian Anderson. Uh, over under 260, Corey Dickerson. Over under 275, Garrett Cooper 270, Jonathan VR 260, Miguel Rojas 275. All those guys uh, expected to be everyday players are pretty close to everyday players. Uh, which one of those individual guys stuck out to you uh, with this with, with the line being placed on their batting average? And uh, what opportunities do you see um, to beat the book in these situations?
1: Well, the first one I'm 100% going to just, I've already bet myself is I'm going with the batting average over a a Brian Anderson, 260. I mean, in 2018, he batted 273 in 2019 last season, he batted 261. So to me personally, I, we, we, as a Marlins fan base, I think you would agree as well as we're expecting the emergence of Brian Anderson this year. So I'd say probably he, he finds himself somewhere in the 275 range, even if it was 162 games. So, to me, Brian Anderson is almost a lock. I think he can definitely eclipse 260 quite easily. I don't think that's going to be very difficult for him at all. He's a very consistent hitter. Either his contact rate and hard hit percentages are up there good enough to be able to actually give him, get him at that 200, uh, 260 batting average. And then the next guy, I mean, Corey Dickerson, it's uh, 275. Um, he's only hit under, let's see, 263. He's hit 263 and 245. And then his second lowest than that is 282 back in 2017 with the Tampa Bay Rays. The past three years, he's pretty much, past two years, my apologies, has hit over 300. So you're going to give me 275 on Corey Diggerson, who is a good batter, who has hit over 300, looks like four times. So why not? Just get five times. Yeah, four times. So yeah, I'm 100% going to go Corey Diggerson as well. So.
0: And yeah, Dickerson, a guy that has really been underrated for a while, just in general across baseball. I mean, some of that is because he just hasn't been available all that often, had some injury issues as recently as last year, um, what, with his foot, he had an issue with his shoulder. When he's healthy, he's like one of the more consistent players in the league, and that's for both average and for power, which is why um, even coming off the kind of injury-shortened season that he had, he's still someone that commanded a two-year deal at a pretty big price range because he has that track record. I totally agree on him, someone like that. And uh, another guy that probably benefits a little bit from the fences coming in at Marlins Park, right? Because uh, in center field and in right center field, uh, it's coming in at center by seven feet based on where the dimensions used to be. It's coming in in right center by five feet. And he's a guy that hits for a lot of his batted balls in that direction, in center and right center. And that extra little lift, um the extra little difference is what gives him could make a difference in him actually getting balls over the wall and out of the stretch of the outfielder's glove. So he, yeah, he's a guy that I was a pretty big fan of the signing at the time. And I mean, definitely considering the changes that they've made since then, it makes a lot of sense. Um Yeah. With the, with Jonathan VR, I'm wondering if you do you feel any conviction either way about him? Because I th- guess as an overall player, you could argue he's he's right up there with one of the best players on the whole team. But like batting average itself wasn't something that he succeeded that much in last year. I mean, it was more of a banner year for his power and his stolen bases. So with with him, even if uh, you don't necessarily see him being all that strong in the batting average department. Um, I guess it doesn't stop him from actually being a valuable player to the team, right?
1: Yeah, I think Jonathan VR, I think he's an excellent player for the field, but the batting average being set at 260, which is his career average, he has a career average of 261, I can't, with conviction, I can't tell you, please bet the over, or I can't also can't tell you bet the under, because I can see it where he maybe he gets lucky on the BABIP, and he can find his find his way, hit the doubles, and get over 260. So I, with conviction, I can't say Hey, let's go Jonathan VR over 260 or under 260. But as uh, I told you earlier, you got the stolen base leader of Jonathan VR at actual 9 to 1 to lead the league in steals. And if you could tell just from a little bit of spring training, I think Don Maddenly is going to be a little fearless on the base pass between Monte Harris and Jonathan VR. I think they're just going to let him run. And so I think the actual 9 to 1 play on Jonathan VR, I think it's not a bad play because I think he can lead the league in steals if Don Madley wants to take the aggressive approach on the base pass we
0: did see that um, it's been a couple of years since we saw that because the last couple of years Marlins have been pretty far down in the stolen base department. Uh, And, but more so I would think that just has a lot to do with their personnel, just the specific guys on the team and using their skill sets. I mean, when they had D Gordon here in 2017, he stole 60 bases and had another season prior to that where it was a similar total. That was also under Don Mattingly. So it was the same guy in charge and he was just more aggressive in those situations because he had a player that had that skill set and had that track record and uh even last year uh, John Birdie, of course got regular playing time only at the end of last year and but once he did he was he had the green light basically all the time and he was super efficient with it and and that's that that was something that Maddenly responds to he just like adjusts his strategy based on who he has so i i like that point with VR being someone that would be, we'd be inside that circle of trust. He would be someone that you think would be getting a green light just based on the the track record that he has. Uh, but we're gonna pivot here to the bigger picture with the team, with the win total being set at twenty four and a half in a sixty game season. So if you think it's a, a, if you think their winning percentage as a team is gonna be four hundred or lower, then you'd take the under. Going over would suggest that this is a team that's gonna win more than forty percent of their games going to take a pretty significant step forward from last year. Um, This is a really complicated one. We'll spend a lot of time on this, but where are you leaning in terms of the win total?
1: Man, I'll be honest. This is probably – I think it's a – I lean probably over just because I think the team can be competitive. The batting, I think the offense, I think can be extremely competitive, but the pitching, can it allow – can it hold the teams to not – give up too much offense and the personally the public is banging the under uh the under is the favorite 24 and a half but I I want to believe and say the over because the team I think is competitive but I think 24 is a a good number I think uh, if I had to guess a a win prediction total what 25 26 24 I think that's kind of a perfect number I can't with conviction I don't think I can say let's go over or let's go under I think it's kind of the perfect number for the current team the way it's constructed. And I think whenever the youth comes up, they can go through some struggles or you got to allow them time to develop. Or they can come out, they could be surging, and you don't have enough – there's not enough games to be played for pitchers to actually figure out these batters. And so the young guys all throughout the league can actually surge through because there's not enough time to pick apart – there's not enough at-bats to pick apart these players and find the weaknesses.
0: Just in general, um, obviously the entire season outlook – The season format has totally changed because of the delay and then of the precautions being taken due to COVID. So it's changed a lot of the fundamental rules of the game. It's obviously changed the length of the season, and it totally warped the entire schedule too that the Marlins face. Now it's two-thirds of their games inside the division, the rest of their games against the AL East. Um, Just looking at some general analysis – when it comes to that, the thinking has been the Marlins got screwed in this situation, that they're facing one of the toughest schedules in the league, if not the toughest schedule. Um, but when you like put everything together, with the shortened season, the new schedule, some of the new rules, the addition of the DH, um, are you generally more optimistic about the team's win total and the pace that they're on for this year um, compared to what it would have been during a regular season? Because I know you put a lot of thought into analyzing the team back in the spring back in entering the regular season overall do you think the team is helped or hurt by the shortened season compared to you know the average major league team
1: and this is really tough um i'm gonna say um it's it's tough to say because of it's only 60 games so but here's my thing this team can get hot real quick and i think to score a whole bunch of runs and so with it I think the offense can get hot. I don't think the pitching can. Even though Caleb Smith actually last year in 60 games, he was in the top five of the RRA. Um I just – I think it – I think it hurts the team because – actually, I'm going to take that back. I'm a, I, I, It's hard to say with any conviction because it's so difficult. Yeah. Uh, because the team I mean, There's is, a lot
0: of factors at play here. It's like you could really pick them apart. One by one by one, because, I mean, we start the basics. A shortened season means that the upside is higher, right? Because anything can happen. Things are so unpredictable. You, you know that if other teams lose key players at inopportune times, then that brings them back to the pack a lot and keeps the Marlins alive. So the shortened, the number of games is beneficial to them, right? The fact that it's just there's less time for things to go wrong for them. There's less time for them to punt on the season and trade away veterans i mean those can still happen too but just the, the shortened season probably helps them right it's it's just all the other factors that really make it complicated
1: absolutely there is no way the marlins make the playoffs in 162 games like i'm pretty sure we can both say that with pretty good conviction the marlins were not gonna make the playoffs in 162 games and whenever you shorten it down to 60 you can most definitely make the playoffs. The best teams will not make the playoffs this year because you are one injury away, one cold streak away from just being out of the playoffs. That's just how it's going to be this year. So to say, yeah, it has to be beneficial to them. Just the short game, if if the team gets hot, hey, you can make the playoffs. Will you make damage in the playoffs? That's a whole different story. But the team can get hot. The team can make it. And I think the team should be optimistic. And I think from the players I've talked to, they're very optimistic about believing, hey, why not us? the message to our guys is that, you know, why not us?
0: Why not us? Why not us? The rallying cry that started with Mike Hill, and then a lot of the players have picked up on that. Even though it's a little bit corny, it's a, it's a simple, direct message. Yeah, why not us? And I, you see, like, little advantages here, because, I mean, at this stage of the spring, they're, they're, the roster hasn't necessarily been, like, overwhelmed with COVID cases. They're going to enter opening day with, most of their preferred starting lineup intact and uh, all their starting rotation intact. And so that's just a little, that's just a stroke of good luck. That's not something that we can really control whatsoever or anticipate whatsoever. But I mean, so far they're off to the right foot in that situation. You also brought to my attention, I mean, the odds that they face in terms of making the playoffs at plus 800, winning the National League pennant at 200 to one the world series at 300 to 1. Is it, is it even worth putting like a couple bucks on any of those, just considering how extreme the odds are and how unpredictable the year is going to be?
1: If you're going to make a smart bet and you really just want to bet on the Marlins, uh, like everyone, I mean, people, Leicester City, whenever they want the Premier League, 5,000 to 1. So, I mean, anything can happen. But their odds are extremely unlikely. Maybe you can put $2 on it and just say, hey, just in case. Maybe I'll walk away with 600 But if you're going to make any bet at all, it's going to be to make the playoffs 800 That's really the best bet you can probably make, just as what we talked about earlier. Anything can happen this year. So uh, I don't think they will make the playoffs, but I think 8-1, to one, if you just want to put a couple down on there because it's your team, you want to believe in the team. I, I, I definitely think there's not value there. I don't think there's value at 8-1 to one to make the playoffs for the Marlins. I'd say if it was – if it was sixteen to one, I'd bet it myself. But being eight to one, I just don't think there's enough value, and I don't think they make the playoffs enough times. If you go through the league a hundred times, how many times do the Marlins actually make the playoffs? What, nah, maybe five, six, seven? So I don't think the value is there at eight to one. I definitely don't think the value there is there at the NL pennant at two hundred to one. Uh, I just think the NL is pretty competitive. But hey, like I said, if you're a, if you really want, just want to put a couple of dollars on a team. You want not put five bucks on it, then hey, maybe you'll get lucky, but probably not. But if you really just want to have fun with the team, you just bet to make the playoffs at plus 800, uh, plus 800, eight to one. Um, because the uh, no to not make the playoffs is uh, you got to bet 1200 to win 100. So if you're just going to have a little bit of fun with it, I'd say to make the playoffs uh, uh, plus 800. Yeah.
0: And once they make it in, I, I suppose anything can happen. It is the same playoff format that baseball has used uh, for the last eight years where obviously five teams make it in from the national league, 10 teams overall. And, um, I, I guess, if yeah, I really putting any money on that would be just trying to anticipate something really goofy happening. Like one of the scenarios that obviously was talked about during this entire pandemic was what if baseball just plays most of their games at neutral sites in places that, um, in, in preferred places and Marlins park was brought up as like one of those neutral sites that everybody would want to go late in the season, you know, to, um, to, to guard against cold or weather. And if Marlins for whatever reason, were uh, able to do that, like in the luxury of their home city and sleep in their own beds while they're going through like the most important games of the year, that'd be, that'd be working in their favor, I guess, even if there's no fans in attendance, but I agree. I agree. It's, it's, so such an extreme long shot that yeah you don't want to like actually expect that to happen. Otherwise, you're kind of preparing yourself for disappointment. With some of the younger players, though, I mean that's something that people are heavily focused on. I remember on Fish Tribes we put up a poll way back at like the start of spring training, um, as they were winning games in spring training, but just checking in on whether fans were prioritizing the future of the team or the present of the team considering where they are in this rebuild. And what we found is even at this point, even with the momentum that we've seen with the team, more people are focused on the future and on the prospects than they are on the current major leaguers on the team, which would understandably mean that during this shortened season, people are going to be paying close attention to which of those top prospects finally break through to the majors. And obviously being in a position where these guys have unlimited potential, unlimited possibilities when you're like breaking through to the majors for the first time. And you did send over some National League Rookie of the Year odds with these guys. Uh, which Marlins do you think have any sort of chance you think to... Um, I mean, just generally, we could talk about guys that could contribute right away. But for the betting purposes, which of these guys has any sort of path you think to winning National League Rookie of the Year and getting that kind of respect and producing right away?
1: Uh, so for me... Um So for me personally, the 6-0 Sanchez at 20-1, to one, I don't know if he makes enough starts to do the damage. Um, and then you have Jesus Sanchez at 45-1. to one. They're the only two Marlins that I can actually find listed anywhere for in NL Rookie of the Year. Um, I don't I don't know how many uh, bats Jesus Sanchez gets. I don't know if he can actually cover the time. I actually think the big thing is for the NL Rookie of the Year is who's going to have the most starts because you're going to be competing against someone like Carter Keybone, who's going to probably be the starting third baseman, guy like Dustin May who's who could win the fifth spot for the Dodgers, Mackenzie Gore who could break out, Dylan Carlson, and Gavin Lux. So to me, the NL Rookie of the Year is going to be really hard if you're not starting right away. And to me, 6 Sanchez, I don't think he's going to start right away. Uh, Jesus Sanchez as well, I don't think he's going to start right away. To me, actually, if I can find it, I want Luan Diaz. And that's a guy to me that I think he can just do enough damage, and if he can start right away, that's a guy that can actually win in our rookie of the year.
0: Yeah, we know that the Marlins, for at least themselves, their own internal valuation of Lewin is that he's special, that he could be the best hitter in the organization, and that he could be pretty close to Major League Ready. Yeah, we had one of my writers like put together a opening day roster projection fresh on today, on Wednesday, as we're recording this. And he thinks that Lewin can sneak onto the opening day roster just because of some of the openings currently. Uh, Matt Joyce is a guy that is expected to not be healthy for opening day. That would create a spot. And the Marlins in general, just uh, hoping to add some left-handed pop. You know, we mentioned Corey Dickerson and how much he could contribute. But besides him, they don't have a ton of power threats from the left-handed side. And so Lewin is a guy that could – Come up and like immediately help them in that department. It's, it, yeah, it's going to be just a question of how early they arrive because it's such a shortened season. Like what you see in past rookie of the year races, uh, it's pretty common for guys to win the award even if they're not on the roster to start the year. Like we see them emerge in the middle of the season and even towards the end of it. We saw it with Jacob DeGrom. We saw it with Gary Sanchez, with Jordan Alvarez. It's almost every year in one of the leagues, really, where a guy emerges in the middle of the year and has that and is able to like produce and get the attention he needs to win the award. But in this season, yeah, every single game is precious. It's it's almost like a process of elimination where you can almost eliminate guys that aren't on the roster immediately because they just don't have the time later on to to make up for any missed time at the major league level. And that's going to be interesting to see how they balance that. It's an unprecedented situation with how they go about that. I mean, aside from the Marlins, uh, I mean, maybe there are some other things in your mind when it comes to them that are worth paying attention to. But I, I know you follow all the other the league itself to some degree in general. Uh, is there any particular props when it comes to non-Marlins players or other teams that you think are being undervalued or overvalued? Any any bets that are unrelated to the team that are worth Marlins fans actually investing in, even just trusting you to have the best info on those other teams?
1: Well, so for me personally, one bet that I think is a really good bet is the 2020 National League MVP. I really like Cody Bellinger at 12 to 1, uh, personally, because you've seen what he does in 60 games. I put out a tweet a while back where he hit 400 through 60 games of just last year. So just having him get better now, I will say this, Cody Bellinger this offseason did tinker his swing a little bit right after winning the MVP. So will that have any ramifications on it? I'm not entirely for certain, but I'm. I think I'm pretty comfortable with betting Cody Cody Bellinger at twelve to one. I think the value is there with Acuna. He's at six to one. Yelich at seven to one. Why is Cody Bellinger twelve to one, uh, while Mookie Betts is actually three to one? So I'll go ahead and take Cody Bellinger there. I mean, he's already won the MVP, and I know he can do it. The other thing is the 2020 National League Cy Young. So Jacob Grom, if you guys uh, you saw where he went out with the back injury, so that's right. a little bit open up now. So is is it possible for someone to get hot and? Max Scherzer at 5-1, I kind of like a lot. I think he's definitely got a potential. Um, I mean, he's obviously one of the best pitchers. He's a future Hall of Famer. But one sneaky bet that I love to bet, I have bet way too much money on it, is Josh Hader at 50-1 to one to win the National League Cy Young.
0: Obviously, a reliever, Josh Hader, the, the Brewers reliever, sometimes a closer. Um, what's the path for him to win the Cy Young? Because it's been a while since any reliever got that award. So... What, what makes him like a better odds than usual to get it done this year? Well, not better odds. What makes him a, a sneaky pick and someone that could actually do it? What's working in his favor this year that what's, probably wasn't under normal circumstances?
1: Well, Josh Hader, to me, what's the maximum amount of innings someone like Max Scherzer is going to be able to throw? Like 70? So I just need 30 appearances from Josh Hader, and then I just need him to go two innings apiece. That puts me at about 60 innings. That's at least going to make him inning competitive with the other players, and then you can just rack up the saves. And also, not seeing Josh Hader a lot, um, you're just going to be able to rack up like they're not have to play the batters aren't gonna be able to catch up to him so they're just going to see him and then boom he's gone so he can actually I think he could post under one ERA I think it's a long shot but I think the the roadmap is there because the pitchers can't just be like I threw 200 innings and then you can look at Josh Hader oh he only threw 75 this time Josh Hader if it's possible where he can actually be there quite close to all the other starting pitchers if they uh, if Craig Council uses him enough to have that potential, and I think he can do it. I mean, Trevor Bauer's 13-1. to So you're telling me Trevor Bauer's more likely to win Josh Hader? I don't think so. I think Josh Hader, 50-1, to I think it's a wild bet, but I also think it's a wild season, and I can see the roadmap for Hader to do it. I mean, you got to think about it. He gets strikeouts. He he just does what he does. I mean, everyone loves Josh Hader. He's a great reliever. So why couldn't he do it?
0: Well, uh, I mean, on on that subject, I'm glad you brought up Bauer because there was that uh, mention today by his manager on the Reds about the possibility that Bauer works on short rest for some or all the season, that even though the Reds have a pretty good rotation, Bauer's a guy that has always been very confident. You could say kind of arrogant about his conditioning and his arm strength. And they mentioned that they're, um, they at least mentioned the idea of having him pitch on short rest at some point during the year, considering how short the season is and how much how uh, important he is, there's chances so that'd be something that throws a pretty big curveball in the whole scenario, right? If you have one guy that's pitching more games than anybody else because his his manager is willing to take that risk and he's willing to take it. I I would say that's unlikely to happen, but I I just it's cool that it's even a scenario on this situation because these guys are preparing for such a short season that those type of wild strategies are at least on the table a little bit. You mentioned it really quickly with with Bellinger about the stretch he had where he hit 400, and, and you mentioned this also off the air when we were talking before the pod. Is he the guy that you think has a little bit of a chance that there is a version of this season where he actually hits 400 for the season and does something that nobody has done in like generations?
1: Yeah, I do. Just because you've already seen him do it before. I think Christian Yellick can have that kind of approach as well. I think Ron Lacuna has the possibility, but I don't see him getting over it. I think Cody Bellinger – I mean, the only reason why I say it is because he's done it. So, like, I don't think it's – I think it's highly unlikely. But if you're just going to pick someone to pick it, I'm going to go with Cody Bellinger because he did it. So, I mean, there's hot streaks, and then there's the guy who's – already he just did it last year, so I'm going to believe in the guy – uh, I don't think it's likely, though. But if I had to pick someone to do it, I'd say Cody Ballinger.
0: It checks a lot of the boxes that you look for. I guess with a 400 candidate, he does have a pretty stacked lineup around him with the Dodgers. And obviously the recent track record, having that stretch just in 2019, it's, it'll be fun. I mean, I'm a skeptic. Maybe I'm just no fun. I'm, I'm just the guy that when I see the way that the game is going and how batting averages in general have been dipping a lot the last few years. Um, because of the way the game is played and more priority on hitting the ball over the fence and naturally the improvement of other pitchers and how hard it is just to get your bat on the ball in the first place being hitter in today's game that yeah i have a hard time imagining it but that's that that's one of those mythical numbers like in baseball um it's a lot of those numbers that used to be so um so like worshipped and so precious to people that were keeping the history of the game. A lot of those numbers aren't remembered the same way these days, whether it's because of the steroid era or just a new way that we appreciate baseball that like some of those numbers don't have the same significance they used to, but hitting 400 in a season is like as, as amazing as it gets and as uh, unbelievable as it gets. So that would, yeah, that'd be pretty wild, but it would also be something that even if you don't put like a physical asterisk next to it i think it's going to be remembered differently and that's i guess that's something that uh, this is kind of off the subject but when we like think about everything that happens during this regular season um even though in this moment everybody's on what we hope is a level playing field when it comes to actually trying to make these props and place these wagers as best we can but like when we look back at all these regular season numbers historically uh it's going to be hard for to take any of the 2020 season stats all that seriously right because it's just such a totally different game than what we're used to and because the sample size is so small it's uh yeah i just i just don't think it's going to be remembered with uh, the same type of respect that normal regular season stats will be right
1: yeah, I don't think anyone's personally really going to care about the end-of-season numbers personally to say that because I, I just don't think they're just really going to care because, I mean, you could think about it. If Max Scherzer goes out there and gets railed one time, he has an ERA for the season of eight. You just go look at that and blemish on his career where you just go through there and it's like three, two, 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 eight. And it's like no one's really going to care that much, but I think about the in-season numbers. But I just think a lot of people are going to pay attention to the adjustments that the players make in-season, just to look at it for next year' possibility. I, I I don't think you can see anything this season and just be like, oh wow, he hit four hundred. Okay, I mean that's great, but he only played sixty games, so it's not like he even did it for a full season. There's always going to be the asterisks there. You're just it's just not going to be one of those things. Now if someone comes out there and hits you know fifty home runs in sixty games, then hey that's a little that's a little bit different of a story but i just think like the end of the batting average and the era i think and the whip i think those numbers can go so low just because the sample size can be so small i just don't think anyone can really take it i don't think anyone can really take it seriously other than just actually watching the pitchers and seeing their adjustments and seeing how they improve from the year to year i think that's the only thing that you can actually look at with the pitcher and be like oh he was elite because he got this new sinker pitch and it just dominated everyone but yeah he had a 1 ERA but that you know that doesn't really matter right right yeah uh i guess one thing
0: i'm really looking forward to is individual marlins games and the lines that are set for those games because the last couple of years it's been incredible how uh, 95% of the time maybe higher they're underdogs even if they're at home for individual games that the their talent level was like so far below most of their opponents on any given night the last these first two years of the rebuild that they were underdogs consistently and that that was a trend that i was following a lot last year there was like a, a little silly celebration when they were actually the favorite for once like playing another rebuilding team at home towards the middle of the year but uh, considering like all the other uh, other talent that they're going up against this year um that's one that's one of the oddities that i'm looking forward to this year cuz First week of the season, they host the Baltimore Orioles at home. I imagine they're going to be favored for those games. Uh, the Orioles being a team that's probably even deeper in their rebuild at the present moment, and uh, has has their own concerns about who's actually ready to contribute at the major league level. So that's that's going to be a fun, different story. Uh, actually, being a favored team for once, even and uh, uh, one thing we we tried out last year on Fish Stripes is we had a daily prop bets contest, something that no real money anybody was putting up just the thing for fun that we got like some good engagement with was people trying to pick out how many strikeouts the starting pitcher would get each day, uh, how long the game was going to last uh, the total run scored, but also like a lot of really goofy props that we set up on a daily basis. So I think we're going to bring that back this coming season as well. Any final thoughts about the way that this is shaping up, whether it's for the Marlins or for baseball in general, uh, when it comes to, Anything, anything anything else that comes to mind that you think people should keep in their own minds when they're approaching this from a better perspective?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the number one thing to me is I think the Marlins this year, are it's kind of, it's going to be a transitional year almost. You're going to see a lot of veterans leave and you're going to see a lot of the new, the young guys come up for the next season. So, but the number one thing to me is I think the Marlins, like, as you said just a moment ago, they're underdogs a lot. So to me, actually, I think with the offense they currently have, I think a lot of times you're going to be able to catch some really good odds for them to make comebacks. Say they hang up three runs in the first. Hey, you know, last year's Marlins team, you hang up three runs in the first, they're probably not going to come back. But this season, I definitely think they're going to come back, and I don't think the betting market's going to be ready for that because they're going to look at the same old Marlins and just be like, hey, you know, they're not going to be able to come back from this. Hey, if you believe in the team and they're a live dog and you can get 8-1 to for them to come back, you you should bet the team. There, There are going to be a lot of underdogs, so maybe betting the game before the game isn't actually the right move. betting during the game, live betting, I think that's definitely the way to go. It's a way to to bet on them to come back, bet on them to make the right decisions. Or personally, if you watch the Marlins a lot, you know when they're kind of dead in the water. You can tell when a pitcher's off. You can tell when the bullpen, as you've seen the past couple days, maybe you might be a little tired out and they're going to allow a lot of runs. And you know just to not go with the flow, just bet against them. Because that's the number one thing sometimes whenever you're betting on a team that you love is you can get biased. So the number one thing is whenever you're looking at the betting especially on the Marlins, because it's gonna be a team you know very well, is to look at it full circle and understand when you're being biased that you probably shouldn't be betting. But when you understand the team, look at it full circle and understand the baseball game and just look at the baseball game itself and bet at it like that, that's how you make a profit over over time.
0: Yeah, I got my fingers crossed that the bullpen is improved a little bit this year. There there were times, especially final couple months of twenty nineteen, that Uh, The close games turned into blowouts repeatedly down the stretch because uh, they traded away some of their key veteran relievers. Others were just inconsistent or had injuries, and that was obviously a big point of emphasis with the team this past offseason is bringing in not necessarily the most experienced arms but just a lot of new ones that had uh, interesting upside, that had a new philosophy of having a bullpen that has guys actually throw strikes on a consistent basis. That's going to be a pretty refreshing change compared to previous years. It just applies to what you were saying about trusting them to actually come back in certain situations because that was hardly ever happening at all last year because of some of the arms you had in that bullpen and how inconsistent they were. But hopefully a much different story this time. And obviously the front office put in a lot of work in terms of just bringing in different options and a lot of different looks out of the pen that are hopefully hard for opponents to adjust to. And you got extra roster spots on the active roster this year where you could actually stack it up with more arms to make it really unpredictable for your opposing lineups in terms of who they is going to come out of that pen next and the kind of look they're gonna get so I am cautiously optimistic that yeah we see not just more wins but a lot of those really compelling wins where they're able to like undo an early deficit and make things really interesting at the end and this was this was a fun subject and one that I hadn't really put all that much thought into specifically for this year. And I guess we should add a little disclaimer again, just as we did in the beginning, that this is a very unpredictable season. And if there are pandemic-related circumstances that force any rule changes, uh, the Marlins um, would have to adjust those and we'll have to see whether that works in their favor or not. But considering everything we know for right now, as of this recording, a a week before opening day, uh, I think this was pretty great primer and well-prepared for us into, uh, into how to look at the Marlins heading into this year and how this sets up for them and how it sets up for individual people to take advantage of what the sports books are putting out there. Tyler Wilson checking in from the West Coast to help us with this process and doing an excellent job of that. Thank you, Tyler.
1: Hey, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. I mean, it was great to talk about all this, and hopefully we can all make some money together uh, this year. Uh, as always, you can follow me on at King of Buffalo, and then uh, we, can, we can try and win some money all together. Uh, I'll be trying to bet the Marlins games, trying to get as much profit as I can out of there. Um, my daughter, she typically wakes up at, like, t- uh, 1 a.m., so I'm sitting there betting on Chinese and Korean esports, so I'm going to be a little happier when I have baseball to actually bet on. It's It's been a rough drought for everybody, for especially for bettors, yeah, because.
0: Yeah, not just the absence of sports but yeah the, the way that so many of these other leagues that are able to get going are doing it at all sorts of odd hours but uh, you've, you've almost made it we've almost made it to the other light at the end of the tunnel with baseball and with other sports as well all coming back uh, approximately at the same time here in, in later july so we're, we've reached the ends and uh, the, all that did is give us more time to actually prepare for uh how to responsibly approach it so so from Eli Sussman Tyler Wilson, latest episode of Fish Bites. Be responsible out there. Go fish.